Welcome to the Word of Grace podcast. As a community, we exist to love on God with all that we are and to share His grace with everyone. If you want to connect with us more, head to social media or wordofgracechurch.com. Here's today's episode. Good morning, church. It is great to be back with you. Um, it's been a wonderful summer, a fruitful summer. We've had over 70 people on four different missions trips in two countries and two cities in the United States. It's been rich, it's been fruitful, and it's been exhausting too, Wonderful, wonderfully exhausting, and uh, it's just good to be back with the family again. Uh, before we get into Second Timothy, um, I want to, I, I, this quote, I came across this quote not long ago, and it's really, I just think it's good, it's really been speaking to me, and um, it, you know, we've been talking about the farmer and the athlete, and who, what was the third one, Ryan? The soldier, yeah. And these are these are action roles, isn't that right? And, and Christianity is an action faith. So let's look at this quote, okay? The end product of evangelism is not to get you out of hell and into heaven. I'm going to say that again. The end product of evangelism is not to get you out of hell and into heaven, but to get God out of heaven and into you. So that Christ living in your heart might bring God out again into the open where he can be seen. I like that. This is what brings glory to God, Major Ian Thomas. Yeah, we are called to an active faith. We are called to represent Jesus on planet earth. It was another evangelist a long time ago, Gypsy Smith, that said, Hey, there are actually five Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and you. Most people will never read the first four. We're called to an act of faith, and as I get into the second half of Second Timothy chapter 2, we're going to look at this because following Jesus is a call to action. And this, this passage talks about not just talking about things, but doing things for Jesus. I don't know that I've ever spoken from this passage of Scripture before. And it has challenged me because um, I, I thought I knew where it was going when I read it the first couple of times, but as I dug into it, I realized I was a little bit off track in my understanding of it. And and I'm, and, and I, I've adjusted. I had to change some illustrations, to Pastor Welly, that didn't fit because I was kind of headed in the wrong direction. But but let's get into 2 Timothy 2, 14 through 26. It's important stuff. Here we go. Keep reminding God's people of these things, Paul says to Timothy. Let's stop right there. What things? Keep reminding God's people of these things. Paul is saying, Pastor Timothy, remember Jesus Christ raised from the dead. He just talked about that. Pastor Timothy, remember that it's all about the gospel as you carry out your ministry. Pastor Timothy, remember... Bottom line, it's all about people's eternity. Let's stay focused on that. Pastor Timothy, this must remain your core message. As he would say to the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians 15, of first importance, the most important thing, of first importance I passed on to you, Jesus Christ buried, Jesus Christ resurrected, Jesus Christ 
raised from the dead. First importance. So in all your work as a pastor, Timothy, and all your discharging of your duties, please keep the main thing the main thing. Please keep your focus and please keep your people focused. Why? Well, let's look at verse 14 again. Keep reminding God's people these things. Warn them before God against quarreling about words. It's of no value. It only ruins those who listen. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. Avoid godless chatter because those indulging it will become more and more ungodly. Their teaching will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have departed from the truth. They say the resurrection has already taken place, and they destroy the faith of some. Nevertheless, God's solid foundation stands firm. I think we sang about that today. Sealed with this inscription, the Lord knows those who are his, and everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must turn away from wickedness. In a large house, in a great house, there are articles not only of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some are for special purposes and some for common use. Those who cleanse themselves from the latter will be instruments for special purposes, made holy, useful to the master, and prepared to do any good work. Flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with all of those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments because you know they produce quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Opponents must be gently instructed in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth. And then they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. His will. A lot of do's and don'ts there. A lot of rapid-fire directives from the Apostle Paul. But the, but the heart of this passage, we could call it the big why of all of these imperatives and instructions, it's the great house that Paul's talking about. He says, in a great house. And I thought initially the big house or the house was speaking of us as followers of Jesus because we are the temple of the Holy Spirit, isn't it, right? The house of God. But he's no, he's talking about the church. The big house, the great house is the church. And the church is great because of who it belongs to. It's God's house and not ours. And the church is great because of who the architect is. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And the great house is great because it was built with a great cost. The life of God's son on a cross for our sin and salvation. And the great house is great because of its importance. The great house, the church, is at the very center of God's plan to reach the whole world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. It has a calling it has a commission to fulfill. Its business is the most important business on earth. The business of the great house, the business of the church, is the most important business on planet earth.
The great house is the church, and Paul says, we're the vessels, we're the articles. We are, if you will, the serving bowls and the serving t- utensils in this, in this great house. And he says, some are common, and, and, and some are special, and some are clean, and some are dirty. Some are useful, and some not so useful to the master yet. But look at verse 21. Just listen to this. Paul says, as vessels, he says, but those who cleanse themselves, those who cleanse themselves from the latter will be instruments for special purposes. And I got to looking at that, and I thought, yeah, in the house of God, some are like gold and silver, and some are like wood and clay, and some are for special purposes, and some are for, for common purposes. What Paul is saying here is that any of the vessels, as they cleanse themselves, we all have potential to be the gold and the silver and not the wood and clay. We're actually all called to be the gold and silver and not the wood and clay. We're all called to be special and useful. Uh, I was thinking about this when I was sitting here during worship. One of the things that differentiates silver and gold from wood and clay is that silver and gold are reflective. Wood and clay aren't. Silver and gold are reflective just as we are to reflect God's glory. Paul would say we are taken from glory to glory by the Spirit. We're to grow in our ability to shine for God. It's not our glory, it's His, but it's a reflective glory. It's like the sun and the moon. The moon has no glory of itself, but it reflects the glory of the sun in the same way as human beings, as followers of Jesus. We have no glory of our own, but we have a reflective glory in the world. That's what the Major Ian Thomas was talking about in that quote. Reflective glory. As the songwriters wrote, like the sun rising, Lord, you've been faithful to me. And just like the moon, I want to reflect your glory. Gold and silver, special and useful, a call on all of our lives. None of us are relegated to be wood and clay. Wood and clay reflect nothing. We are all to be sanctified or set apart in God's plan. We are all to be useful. We are all to be available. This is the essence of the play on words in the little tiny book of, I don't know, you say Philemon, I say Philemon, I don't know. Uh, The tiny book of Philemon. Paul is writing to a friend who had owned a slave named Onesimus. Onesimus had escaped and run away, and he finds Paul, and he probably hunted Paul down because he probably heard Paul teach in Philemon's house. So he finds Paul, and and, and under as as he connects with Paul, Paul leads him to Christ. He becomes a brother in Christ, and Paul writes a letter back to his master Philemon, who he escaped from, on behalf of Onesimus. And he says in this letter, because Onesimus is now a vessel in the house of God. He says, he was once useless to you and I, but now he is Onesimus. Literally, his name means useful. 
Once he was useless to you, but now he is useful to you and I. He is valuable. He is useful because of the gospel. He has been sanctified and set apart because of the gospel. He's being made useful because of the gospel. He is now available and he is called to be a vessel of honor in the great house of God, just like you and I. Once we were useless, but now we are Onesimus and useful to God. Now, when our kids were little, um, around our house, every once in a while, my Becky, my, my wife, my, my wife Becky would say to our kids, company's coming, company's coming. And, um, it was like a fire drill to clean the house. And everybody would spring into action and everybody had their areas. And, and you know, sometimes she would do it just to get the house clean. Nobody was coming, I think. But company's coming, and everybody would just go for it. And um, when company came, one of the questions always was, do we get out the good dishes? Does this qualify for the good dishes we only use every once in a while? Or are we going to use the common everyday stuff? So do we get out the good, not to impress people, but to bless and honor our guests? Brothers and sisters, you and I are called to be God's good dishes. Good dishes that he uses to serve the world. By design, none of us are called to be everyday wood and clay stuff. And certainly none of us are paper plates. Use it one time and discard it. We are called to be reflective dishes of silver and gold that God uses to serve the world. That's why he says in verse 21, so cleanse yourself from the latter. Cleanse yourself from the wood and clay stuff. Cleanse yourself from that stuff because underneath that wood and clay, there is silver and gold that needs to shine for him. Cleanse yourself from the the wood and clay so that you can reflect his glory as he uses you to serve the world and reach the lost. This uh, this isn't cleansing for salvation. That's God's work. This is cleansing ourselves from the ordinary. This is rising above what our human nature and what we would typically do or what people do in general. This is uh, rising above typical earthly values and lifestyle. Folks, we are God's house and we are his vessels and instruments to serve the world. And initially we may look like silver or look like wood and clay on the outside, but underneath is that silver and gold that Paul says as we are cleansing ourselves, putting ourselves in the dishwasher of his presence on a regular basis. As we are cleansing ourselves, we become those vessels of honor, silver and gold. So here's the Apostle Paul. He's writing from jail. He has a tremendous sense of urgency because he knows he's about to be martyred. He has loved God's great house. He has planted God's great house. He has suffered for God's great house. 
And his passionate plea to Timothy is, Timothy, please keep the main thing the main thing. Timothy, please keep you and your people clean that they might be vessels of honor fit for the master's use. Timothy, please stay useful to God and always be available for God. You belong to a special house that has a special purpose and don't settle for anything less and don't be anything less. So it begs the question, how do we cleanse ourselves? How do we rise above the normal and the mundane to be those reflective dishes and utensils and and vessels for God? How do we rise above all that? How do we prepare ourselves to do any good work that Paul talked about to Timothy? Well, that's what the bookends of the beginning and the end of this passage are all about. Verses 14 to 19 and verses 22 through 26. The do's and don'ts, the imperatives that surround this admonition, you are the great house of God and you are the utensils in the house to be used for God's glory. And I've got five or six of them here we're going to just shoot through that comes from this passage. Paul says if you're going to be the great vessels of silver and gold that shine for God's glory, don't spend your time quarreling about words. Don't waste time in pointless arguments. Timothy, words are never a substitute for deeds. Paul would say to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 4.20, the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but action. This, we're, we're, we're not a book club. We're not a discussion group. We're the body of Christ. We're the army. We're the family. And we're to grow and we're to go and we're to make a difference in the world. It's not just about talking, it's about doing. When I was in Bible college a long, long time ago, I just remember endless discussions from Daniel and Revelation on the rapture. And is Jesus going to come before the tribulation? Or is Jesus going to come mid in the middle of the tribulation? Or is Jesus going to come after the tribulation? And in the body of Christ, in, in a larger context, John Walvoord would write books, pre-tribulation books, to convince the body of Christ that Jesus is coming before the tribulation. And George Eldon Ladd would write books uh, convincing, trying to convince the body of Christ that Jesus is going to come after the tribulation, and he was going to keep us safe and sound through the tribulation. And back and forth this went. In culture, in the church, in Bible college hours and hours and hours you'd think ministry training was all about preparing to talk instead of preparing to do I want to say it again the church is not a debate club opinions don't change lives And my thing over the whole thing was nobody's got it all figured out. In the end, we're all going to be a little bit surprised on how this thing wraps up and unfolds. So why wrestle with it? Let's just know that we're good. We're his. He has it planned out and we're going to make it and it's going to be great. That's all we need to know. Stay focused on the main thing. 
Everybody's going to get surprised. Stay focused on getting people ready for eternity instead of trying to figure out how eternity is going to play out. Proverbs 11.30 says, He who wins souls is wise, not he who wins arguments is wise. He who wins souls is wise. So don't quarrel about words. Secondly, if you're going to be one of those glowing silver and gold vessels useful to God, focus on what builds up instead of what tears down. I love this in John 6, 68. When Jesus has his disciples with him and, and the crowds are starting to leave him and people are walking away at this point in his ministry, and he basically says to the guys, are you going to go too? And I love what they said. Jesus, where are we going to go? Only you have the words that lead to life. Words that lead to life. Words that build up and don't tear down. Words that encourage and don't discourage. Only you, Jesus, have the words that lead to life. Sitting right there this morning, sitting there saying, God, give me words that lead to life today. Give me words that lead to life today. Ephesians 4, 29. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Speak only that which edifies. Speak only that which builds up. And without sounding crass, I just... I, I just, at this stage of life, I just want to say, if it doesn't build up, shut up. Because you're not doing any good for the hearers. And Paul would go on to say, these people that wrangle about with words and arguments and all that kind of stuff, the, the new believers and the young ones among you, they get discouraged and some of them walk away from the faith because of your discussions and your debates. So he's saying, be careful. Speak only that which builds up. Folks, this is a big deal. People who only want to debate and deconstruct can lead to the ruin of others, Paul is telling us. The Greek word is catastrophe, from which we get catastrophe. That's a big deal. Literally, it's used to describe the demolition of a house. And we are God's great house. And when we don't watch our words and we get involved in meaningless conversations ad nauseum, and when we debate and discuss and chew up and tear down, we're, we're destroying the house of God. When I was pastoring, we had this one guy. Paul names two guys. Himenaeus and Philetus. And they were teaching that the resurrection had already taken place, and Paul was challenging on that. They wouldn't let go of this and debating, you know, say, saying the resurrection, not Jesus' resurrection, but the resurrection of the people of God. It's the, so, so whatever you did in your bodies didn't matter because ultimately only your spirits were going to go to heaven. And it's destructive teaching. And Paul tried so hard to get them to turn from their error. And he said their discussions were destroying the faith of some in the church. 
as he dealt with them and tried to correct them. Ultimately, for the sake of God's great house. For the sake of God's great house, 1 Timothy 1.20 tells us, Paul speaks of him and Aeus, he says, I delivered him over to Satan that he might learn not to blaspheme and turn from his ways. That's strong stuff. That is really strong stuff. I don't hear too many pastors today saying, well, I had to deliver one to Satan today. But that's what Paul, Paul loved the great house of God so much. Paul loved the purpose of the great house. Paul loved the people of the great house so much that he would not allow that cancer to remain that was destroying the faith of others. But his hope was, was that they would turn and return to the faith. So I had this one guy who loved to discuss and debate when I was a pastor. He loved to question everything. And I would say today, I wish I would have been stronger like Paul. Because I would have saved some of the people that I loved. Some people, especially some of the young guys in our church, really admired him. They loved to go to his house and debate all kinds of stuff. But several of them are no longer serving Jesus today. He was part of one of our small groups, and over time, most of the people in that small group left the church. I was heartbroken. He was constantly debating and deconstructing and getting on to topics that young minds and people new in the faith couldn't handle. One time, we had a member of our congregation, a young lady, suddenly in the hospital. She was 32 years old, had been a high school beauty queen in the Midwest. She was now severely disfigured. She had a, a condition, a disease, uh, where the elasticity in her blood vessels was losing its elasticity and, and they would bulge and swell. And so this young lady who was a beauty queen, now married at age 32, she had a, a blood vessel behind her eye expand and lose its elasticity and it forced her eye out and down. And it was very, very difficult for her. a blood vessel in her stomach ruptured. And Easter week of that year, she ended up in intensive care. And many people gathered at the hospital to pray for her. And I remember being in a small room with a couple of the family members and some of our leaders and quite a few people from the church and we're just asking God to touch her and asking God to heal her. And this guy was a part of that prayer time. The family members anxious and hopeful, praying. And then he speaks up and says, are we even sure that God wants to heal her?
that was one occasion where, as a pastor, I'm glad I didn't own a gun. I got him out of there as fast as I could. I apologized to the family. Our leaders gathered around them to encourage them. What a time to debate. What a time to raise the question. We buried that young lady on the Saturday between Good Friday and Easter. It was a very unusual Easter season as a church. Good Friday, Saturday funeral, Sunday celebration of the resurrection. It wasn't easy, but that year as we kept the main thing the main thing, that year as we focused on the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, God's hope and comfort was more real that Easter than I can ever remember. God's hope and comfort flooded through our church and flooded through that family. And and, and the Easter story, the main thing, was exactly what our church needed in that moment. Paul says to young Timothy, focus on things that build up and don't tear down and keep the main thing the main thing. Here's the third one. Focus on that which unifies, not what divides. Again, keep the main thing the main thing. So many topics that people get passionate about are so peripheral to the faith, nothing central and and essential about them, that people get their knickers in a knot over boundary issues and boundary doctrines and things that aren't going to change anybody's life. You know what I'm talking about? Remember years ago, last Sunday of November, a guy walked up to me in church and said, well, I'll see you in January. I said, why? Why? Why are you going to be gone the next five weeks? Well, you're putting a Christmas tree up in the lobby. You know, Christmas trees have origins in some other religion, and we shouldn't have Christmas trees, and we shouldn't be doing that stuff. And, and he broke fellowship over a Christmas tree. I think that's why verse 23, Paul calls them foolish and stupid arguments that lead to quarrels. One time I got a phone call in the office and the guy on the other end of the phone said, hey, I'm hearing great things about your church and I think I want to come and check it out. I said, that's great. He says, but I got one question before I come. I said, what's that? He said, do you believe people can lose their salvation or do you believe in eternal security? And I said, well, sir, If that's the litmus test for coming to our church, this is probably not the place for you. I mean, the church has been debating this for 500 years, and we're not going to solve it in our local fellowship. And bottom line is, whether you believe somebody can lose their salvation or you believe they really weren't saved in the first place, we all want the same thing. We want to see them saved and functioning in the great house of God. So why wrestle with this and get in debates? Let's just serve Jesus and reach the lost together. That is what is central. 
So let's not let peripheral issues distract us from our main purpose. I got to tell you, around the world, our brothers and sisters do not have time or luxury to quibble and split hairs over these kind of things. We just had a team of 15 high schoolers in Thailand on the Burmese border where the Civil War in Burma, the refugees and our brothers and sisters in Christ and, and the pastors that are being persecuted and killed and they're, they're getting across the border and, and they're, they're FaceTiming uh, every day. This lady, is fa- she's, she's brilliant. She's FaceTiming every day and all day long. She's, she's FaceTiming with, with followers of Jesus that are in hiding and scared and need her comfort. They're traumatized. You think you're worried about Christmas trees? Our brothers and sisters in Nigeria, the persecution that's going on in that country, North Korea, China, I could go on and on. Do you think they're worried about once saved, always saved? It's just not central. It's not the part that matters. It's not of first importance. These brothers and sisters on the Burmese border living as refugees in Thailand, working among them, working among their children for two weeks, serving them. Their life is in Christ. Their focus is on Christ. Their joy is in Christ. Their purpose is in Christ. And all they want to know is, who's my people? Where's my family? All they want to know is, am I a part of the family of God that can help me and sustain me in this hour? They're not, they're not worried about labels or denominations. They're not worried about anything except who are my people? And how do we protect each other on earth? And how do we serve God and share the gospel together? That's all that matters to them. Let's focus on things that unify. Not divide. Because Jesus prayed in the garden in John 17. Father, make them one, that the world may know you sent me. Father, make them one, unity, that the world may know you sent me, evangelism. Jesus forever linked the unity of the church with the reaching of the world with the gospel. And the stronger our unity is, the better our witness and reach is going to be. So let's focus on that which unifies. Number four, and we got to fly. Let's correctly handle the word of God so that we're good vessels of silver and gold. The word of God is God's standard for faith and conduct. The Bible is God's standard. Hear me, not 67% of it, all of it. I read, read yesterday somebody saying, we need to rewrite the New Testament to reflect today's gender-neutral society. Just what I read. God's word bows to no culture. God's word bows to no cultural ways. The Bible will never mean what the majority wants it to mean. Uh, it never, it will never bow to cultural hopes or people that twist it to make it say what they want it to say. Timothy rightly handle, like a, like, like a soldier rightly handles a sword, rightly handle like a seamstress knows how to cut a straight line with scissors, rightly handle the word of God and you will be a vessel of honor. 
Even Jesus, when he was tempted in the desert, all he said was three times, it is written, it is written, it is written. He just quoted the word of God in those moments. And when people struggle with in conversation with you about your stand on things in culture today because you're a follower of Jesus, share the word of God. Because as you share the word of God, their argument is no longer with you. Your, their argument is with God and his word. It's not your opinion you're struggling, you're struggling with. They're struggling with the word of God itself. A vessel of honor, we need to know the word. We need to live the word. We need to defend the word. And we need to avoid contamination. The contamination of trying to fit the word of God to our culture. God's word bows to no culture. Number five, to be a vessel, gold and silver, a vessel of honor, useful. Paul says to Timothy, stay clean. Know what to flee from and know what to pursue. He says, flee youthful lust. Be like Joseph in the Old Testament. He didn't stand around and say, God, I want to see how long I can handle this temptation with Potiphar's wife. No, the Bible says he ran, isn't that? You know, run, Forrest, get, get out of here. He ran as fast and far as he could. Flee youthful lust. Also would speak to fleeing youthful desires for fame and glory. Timothy, don't get trapped in that stuff. As a young pastor, somebody challenged me from the life of John the Baptist. When John the Baptist was asked, are you Elijah? Are you one of the prophets? Who are you? He said, I'm a voice crying out in the wilderness. And the pastor said to me, in your ministry, do you want to be a name or a voice? A name or a voice? Stay clean and pursue righteousness, hunger for it. Pursue faith, grow it. Pursue love, show it. Pursue peace, walk in it every day and in every situation. Number six, to be a vessel of honor, useful. When dealing with people, don't quarrel, Paul says, but here we go, verses 24 through 26. Be kind. Be able to teach people and help them understand the word. Be able to explain, be able to gently instruct those who are in error and those who are opposing the gospel. That's part of our role as salt and light. And Paul says if we help people in this way, hopefully it will lead to repentance. And he says to Timothy, hopefully they will come to their senses. I love that phrase. You remember the day you came to your senses and said, I don't have to live this way anymore? The only other time I find it in the Word of God coming to your senses is in the story of prodigal son. He's living in a pig pen. And the Bible says, and when he came to his senses, he said, my father's hired hands have it better than me. I'm going to go back to my father's house. He, Paul says to Timothy, as you are kind and you instruct and you help them through error, if you help people in this way, it will lead them to repentance. And maybe they will come to their senses and escape the trap of the devil. So let's sum this all up. In the house of God to move from being a vessel of clay or wood that has no reflective glory to a vessel of silver and gold that does. To move from not being very useful or useless to God to moving to being useful for God. Keep the main thing the main thing and don't get stuck in worthless debates. Keep yourself clean. Spend a lot of time in the dishwasher of God's presence. How shall a young man keep his way pure? By keeping it according to his word. Lord, 
Thy word I have hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. Keep yourself clean and keep yourself useful, engaging the lost with kindness and Bible clarity and prayer and concern, hoping that God will lead them to repentance. Friends, Christianity is not a philosophy to be debated. It's an adventure of faith to be lived. Following Jesus is not just to get us out of hell and into heaven. Following Jesus is to get God out of heaven and into us, to bring God out into the open where he can be seen by all. This is what it means to be a vessel of honor in the house, the great house of God. In the words of the poet, this may be a road less traveled, but it makes all the difference. This may be a road less traveled in the body of Christ today, but it makes all the difference being useful, available for God. So Paul's final words to Timothy was simply this. Keep reminding the people of these things. Keep reminding the people of these things, what's central and most important, and guide them into acting on the important things and not just talking about them. And the great house of God will shine brightly in Geauga County. Amen? In greater Cleveland. Amen? Amen? Let's bow our heads before the Lord together. Hmm. As we've talked about God's great house and us being vessels in it, designed by God to be vessels useful, reflective like silver and gold. I just want you to take a second and say, God, where am I on the spectrum? Where am I on the spectrum today? God, my passion, my desire is to be that reflective gold vessel for your glory. I'm thinking of Paul's words in the communion setting and just in this moment, let a man examine himself. Let's take a minute and examine ourselves. Father, place deep within our spirits a driving passion to be active, reflective, useful in the great house of God. Put in us a driving passion, God, that that won't let us be satisfied with anything less than fulfilling our call as useful vessels in the house of God. Lord, save us from just talking about things. By the power of your spirit, help us to do things for you, to engage ministry, to engage the lost, to engage family, to engage neighbors in kind ways that gently teach and instruct the truths of God. Give us that reflective glory among people we love that don't know you from a hole in the wall yet, God. Right where you are, I just invite you to join me by simply saying, Lord, I choose to be a vessel of honor, useful and available. Just make that your prayer right now. If that's your prayer, Lord, I choose to be a vessel of honor, useful and available. Take a minute and talk to Jesus. Lord, I choose to be a vessel of honor, useful and available to you.
Lord, we thank you for our salvation. You met us right where we were, and you changed our lives. But Lord, there's been a process of cleaning us up since we've met you and chose you, follow you. Lord, continue the work in all of our lives as we cooperate with you, cleansing ourselves until we all shine. Vessels of honor that reflect your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Can the whole church say amen? Amen. As the worship team just plays softly for a couple more minutes, I I just invite you to stand to your feet. And um, no doubt in my mind, in this congregation today, there are people needing prayer. One of the things I've tried to live by my whole life is simply this. I don't want to be done before God's done. And as the elders and leaders are coming across the front and on the sides, ready to pray and agree agree with you for something that God needs to do. It may be, it may be financial like Raphael shared today. Thank you for your transparency and testimony, Raphael, wherever you are. It may be something physical. It may be something relational. You may be far away from God this morning and you just say, man, it's my day. Today's the day of salvation and I'm coming home to Jesus. But as the leaders come, I just want to say, man, if that's you in any of those categories, please come this way before you go that way. Let's let God make a difference in your life. Bless you, church. Let's worship the Lord together and come forward for prayer, all right? Hey, thanks for joining us today. We pray this message has been a blessing to you. If you've enjoyed this episode, please take a moment to leave us a review. It helps others find this content. If you want to connect with us, head over to social media or go to wordofgracechurch.com.